So congratulations to all of our seniors who you got to see videos of, some of the seniors you didn't get to see videos of. So I want to take an opportunity uh, before we jump into the message today to just talk to all of those going through that transition because I think as seniors and then us as a church, you know, we have some things to be aware of. So to all of you seniors, one of the things I want to talk to you about, and you might already know this, but there are, you know, maybe your parents told you this, there are formidable times in your lives, like times when certain things happen that kind of set the foundation for the future, you know, and one of the things that you have to know is, is that although we know that and we understand that, so does Satan, so we know that at this time in young men and women's life is where we see, and it could be for a multitude of reasons, but I think, you know, specifically at this time in your life is when Satan tries to distract you the most, you know, and I feel like it's at this time in your life where you need to be on guard the most because a lot of times what happens, if you talk to people that have been down the road, you know, and they're, they're in college and then they came back or they stayed here and didn't go to college, they always talk about this time in their life. It either formed a journey where they walked away from God or formed a journey where they walked closer to God. And unfortunately, right, Statistics would say most people's journey in this time is walking away and not walking to, right? So we're praying as a church, and this is my challenge to the church. So we can, we can clap and we can get super excited for all the graduates, and, and we can say, hey, you know, we love, you know, this new phase in your life, but I think it has to be more than clapping and talking, right? I think as a responsibility of a church, I think it looks like praying for and journeying with people that are going through those transitions. You know, so my encouragement as a church is, is that, so Keely, any of the leaders here can get you in contact with ways that we could be praying for our seniors, whether it's you want to hook up with them and talk with them and write letters to them or if they're going to be home. You know, anything that we can do to encourage instead of just, you know, clap our hands, slap them on the butt and say good luck. We'll see you after a while, right? So my hope is, is that as a church, you'll figure out how you can get involved, how you can be praying for, and how you can be a part of this journey. Because like I said, we want to try to flip the tide, right? We want to try to go against what culture is. We want to see more people at this time in their life growing deeper in their relationship and not walking away. Good? All right, so Galatians 4, that's where we're at right now. Um, again, we were off last week, obviously, for Baptism Sunday. So I want to give you a... Uh, a brief synopsis of why is it important to read the book of Galatians and what should you be looking for? So here's the thing about the book of Galatians, different than most other of the books or letters that Paul wrote. Paul wrote it specifically to those inside of the church, right? And he wrote to them in an urgency that he tends not to have in his other letters. Urgency, and again, from a 911 perspective saying, Here's the thing that you have to understand. There are a lot of people, define a lot of people, whatever that looks like, inside of the church that come every single Sunday that are being deceived and believing in a fake gospel. And not only is it going to take away from your ability to experience life and life to the fullest, you will not experience eternity in heaven. That's the 911 call. Like, you've got to understand people inside a church, or maybe we just got to understand this, because I think we forget this. I think Satan works harder inside of the church than he does outside of the church. Like, I think that sometimes outside of the church just takes care of itself. Do you know what I mean? Like, people making decisions, we tend not to have to influence those decisions much. But I think the deception that happens inside of the church is pretty significant. And that at this time, Paul's writing, and I don't think it's any different, that the attack on the inside of the church to deceive them in believing not in God, not, not believing in God. This is important. He's not trying to get them to say, don't believe in God and don't believe in Jesus. He's trying to get them to believe a fake gospel. And in believing a fake gospel, they'll spend the eternity separated from Jesus because they didn't believe the real gospel. Are we good? That's why we should pay attention. Now, Paul, then, for that was what he said in the beginning. The rest of the letters is like, or the rest of the chapters are like, how can I help you get 
clearer picture? How can I get you so you're not deceived? Like, how can I bring you out of the place right now where you're at, which is for a lot of those people in the church was completely deceived? How can I do it? So he does it in multiple different ways, but he uses, and this is what I think is so good about reading scripture, because if you read scripture, the one thing that scripture does is, is that people that teach it tend to be great storytellers. Like they tend to be able to say, let's go back and, and give you a clarity inside of a, the picture that you're in and let me help you understand it in something that's really going on in your life. Does that make sense? So it's like, let me take you back to, like, this is the story of your life. This is where things are at. Now let me help you apply it to something everybody will get. So the hard thing with that is, is not a lot of us get it. You know, so when he teaches this, you read over some things in Galatians, and you're just like, oh, I mean, that's, that's interesting. You know, so I'm going to give you a context, helping you try to relate to what was going on at the time. So one of the things that, that we have to know and understand is back in that culture, and I honestly don't know that it's changed a lot today, what a father does in the life of his family dictates the health and longevity and vitality of their children, right? Like the father had everything to do with whether or not the kids ever got a chance. In fact, they were living in a culture that this is how it worked, and this was you know, the Greeks and the people that he's talking to at the time, if you were having kids and you were like, ah, girl. So when you take the trash out tonight, this is what they'd say. So when you take the trash out tonight, just take the girl with you and put her out in the trash heap. And this is why, so you know, uh, when you read in James, when James says pure and faultless religion is doing what? Taking care of the orphan and the widow, right? Because here's what was happening back then. Christians would make a habit of going around cities, finding children that had been discarded and taking care of them, right? Because they knew that this was a cultural thing. They knew that if a father chose to look at a daughter or even look at a son and say, I don't want them, that he would discard them, right? And he would throw them out with the trash. This was a common thing that was happening. And then this is what would happen, right? So if you were an orphan, this happens in all orphans' lives, right? At some point, you want to know what? Who's your dad? Right? Like you all, all of them want to know who is my father and what happened, right? Not that they don't love currently who is in their life, but inside them there's this innate desire to know, I want to know who my father is. So at some point, you have to imagine these people asking their father and mother this question. Who was my dad? What happened? Well, like, so think about this, young ladies. If you're like, well, you know, your dad didn't want you, and they threw you out on the trash heap. How would that make you feel about your father? Would there be a sense, right? Would there be a sense inside of each one of you of, like, I've been abandoned by my dad? Like, how can a dad abandon a kid? Right? Have you ever thought about this? Like, how could it be that a dad could just be like, oh, you know what, <laughs> forget him. Let somebody else take care of him. Let somebody else do it. But inside of all children who have went through those experiences is a sense of an abandonment by a father that should never abandon their children. Amen? Right? And, and this, this isn't, you know, something that's not relevant today, right? We're living in a culture today where, you know, people are going through those same things, right? Dealing with those things. Now, imagine this for a second, okay? So imagine now Paul has this group of people, right? These group of people that are now inside of a church, and here's his message, now, you got to put yourself in this position because I know you're not going to be super excited until you think like they thought. Paul walks in, preaches the gospel, and here's what he says. You know that earthly father that you, abandoned you? Guess what? There is a heavenly father who will never leave you. And you're all like, yeah, good. They're like... <laughs> A heavenly father who will never abandon me? A heavenly father that will always be there for me? A heavenly father that's never going to leave me or forsake me like my earthly father did? I'm in. I'm in. Right? So that's why when Paul writes this, 
He is talking to a group of people who he's playing upon or pushing into this idea that these are people that would understand the concept of what it means to be abandoned on this earth by a family, but being adopted by a king or adopted by a father who's never going to abandon them, right? Like that's what he's, those are the emotions that he's playing upon. So when we talk about it today, he's trying to teach them through this concept. You need to understand this concept, number one, through being a father, through being a mother. You need to understand this concept from being a child, and you need to understand this concept from being a son and daughter of the king, right? So he's going to try to teach it to him in that way. So let's just jump into it, Galatians 4, um, starting in verse 1. Here's what he says, Galatians 4, starting in verse 1. What am I saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Now, here's something that, again, I don't think that we understand, but this, when they heard this, this made complete sense to them. Because here's how it worked. Guys, listen up. Young people, you didn't get a chance to decide when you wanted to become a man. There was no choice. Fathers, you didn't get to be like, well, I hope, you know, make excuses for your kid when he's 25 and he's still acting like a boy. Like fathers didn't get to make those excuses. You know what a father's responsibility was? to create a rite of passage that would make their sons when they are 12 years old. You didn't have a choice, boys. You were a boy. When you turn 12, you're becoming a man. Our job as fathers was to make it so that when you get to that point, you understood what to do. Mothers, the same way. When girls got to a certain age, it was when you're this age, you will become a woman. And the understanding was, is that with that comes responsibility, right? That when you're a boy, you have a certain responsibility, right? Like when you're a boy, there's a certain responsibility. When you become a man, that responsibility changes. And guess what? You don't get to shirk your responsibility. Like you don't get to decide, well, I don't like to do that. I don't want to do that. And I want to have fun when I'm a kid. Anybody ever hear that story before? Let kids be kids. I mean, they have their whole life to become a man. Yeah, that's why they're 30-year-old boys all over the place. You're right. They have all kinds of time to get it done because we haven't chose to say, no, you're going to get it done. While you're under my roof, like this is what you're going to do and you're going to become a man. And with those responsibilities, becomes when, when you become a man, there's a responsibility. When you become a woman, there's a responsibility, right? So the reason that he's doing this, right, is because he's trying to help them understand the same thing happens in our own spiritual journey, right? There is a difference between a man of God and a boy, right? There's a difference of the son of the king and a boy, right? He's trying to help you understand that when you, when you cross over that, right, you have responsibilities. Does that make sense? Right? Like when you become, when you, be, doesn't matter your age, when you choose to give your life to Jesus Christ and you become a son, there are no excuses to shirk your responsibility. Excuses are for boys, right? Like excuses of why you don't read your Bible, excuses of why you don't come to church, excuses of why everything else is more important than Jesus. That you don't, if you're going to become a child of God, a son of God, you would automatically know this in the back of your mind. That's why I think it's so hard today. Like I think it's hard because we've done weave. I don't know if you have or not. I think, this is my own personal opinion, I think we've done a bad job of helping our kids understand that when you become a man, you don't get a choice, be a man. So when it comes to their own spiritual walk, they're like, ah, if I come to church, ah, if I read my Bible, ah, if I have a relationship, ah, if I reach my friends, ah, forget it, right? Because they don't understand this rite of passage. They didn't have a father preparing them, saying, you know your job, you know your job, you know your job, your responsibility, your responsibility. You don't have it yet, you don't have it yet, but it's coming. Okay, you got it. Now, there's no turning back. I'm gonna help you. Let's go into manhood together. You think that's missing in the world today? Maybe. 
So then we go to our boys and we go to our young ladies and we're like, so when you become a Christian, you now were a boy and acted like a boy, but now you need to act like a man. And they're like, what? What's that mean? Right? Like nobody's ever taught them. Nobody's helped them understand that there is this separation. So Paul, in his writing, is helping them understand that with the transition, right, becomes responsibility but also with the transition becomes privilege. You see, that's the other thing is inside of the home, this is what they all knew. Like there used to be a pride, like this is probably missing today too. So when you were a father and you raised your sons or you were a mother and you raised your son, there was some pride and privilege that went with like, that's my dad. Like that's my father. Like, Men and women that, that would want to sit there and say, and you know why they would say that? Because they would understand, because being my kill son meant something. It meant something, right? Like, people would know that my children have this because of their father, right? It went all together, and so there was this idea that kids becoming men were super excited because you know what that means is the privilege that he's my father, the privilege that goes with my father is this, and because of that, I have the privilege to be his son. Now, how often do you hear that anymore? Sons and daughters would be like, that's my mom, that's my dad. And with being in that family comes the privilege of those things, right? And what he's trying to get you to see because that's how we should feel when it comes to our transition and our understanding of our Heavenly Father, right? That Listen, <laughs> that's my dad. <laughs> that's my father. And I'm super excited to tell you about the man, father, that I love. Right? And it makes sense. And with that comes the privilege of being a son and daughter. Listen to me. A son and a daughter of the king. Now that, you know what I mean? Like if you get that inside of you, you're like, amen, brother, right? Like if you understand that inside of you is this, uh, like do you know what it is to have the privilege to be a son of a king? Do you know what kind of privilege that goes with being the daughter of a king? Like there is privilege that goes with that. And so for what Paul is trying to get them to understand is like, listen, Here's this rite of passage, just like it was in life, well, same way in your Christian walk. The reason that you've been deceived, and this is what he's trying to, going to tell you now, listen, you know why you got you deceived? It's because you're still a boy. You know why somebody can deceive you? It's because you don't know your father. You know why somebody can come in and say things about your father that aren't true? It's because you're still a boy. Right? Because men, and we're going to talk about this later, men who know their father intimately, if somebody comes and lies about their father, anybody? Number one, that ain't going to happen. If I know my father intimately and I am his son and you come and talk about him that way, somebody talks about like your mother in that way, this is so foreign because, I mean, the way that kids talk to their parents today, they ought to be jack-slapped, right? Like, there isn't even this respect and this idea of, like, no one should talk about your father and your mother ever that way, right? Like, that shouldn't happen. And so when somebody would come in to a church and say, you know what, this is what somebody else said about your father, you'd be like, lie, that's a lie. He's my dad, I know my dad. My dad wouldn't do that. My dad wouldn't say that. I wouldn't be going down those roads. So he's trying to help you get that part of our problem in being deceived inside of the church is you're still trying to live as a boy. You're still trying to live as a girl instead of as a man and woman or son and daughter of the king. That makes sense? All right, so he's giving you that picture. Then he goes on, says there's some in verse 4. He says, but when the set time has fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. And this is the key phrase in this, 
that we might receive. This is what you get because of what Jesus did, because of what God did, that you might receive adoption to sonship. Now, for us, that's, you can read those words and you're like, oh yeah, we're adopted and we're sons and daughters. But I want, I want you to get something that I think maybe you miss. Like, if we understand the plight of the orphan, then you'll understand how much this verse means. That makes sense. So if you understand what it's like to be an orphan, right? If you understand what it's like to never have a father and mother, this takes on a whole different meaning, right? Because imagine this just for a second. This was one of the things that I always struggled with, right? So when we went to the whole foster and adopt thing, so the idea was we were going to adopt from Guatemala didn't work out to adopt from Guatemala. So we were like, well, we should adopt from in the States, right? Like, and, and one of the things that we felt like was on our heart is, is that we wanted to be able to adopt kids that were older because everybody wants the babies. Nobody wants older kids and nobody wants sibling groups, right? Like nobody wants that because with that comes all kinds of problems. Older kids who bring problems into your home and older kids that do and sibling groups that will affect your family dynamics. So when we were doing this, we we're like, we want to do foster adopt. We're not going to know how that works. I was kind of like, I don't know if I really want to foster kids and then you have to give them back. Like I don't, I, that would just tug on my heart, but maybe that's what God wants us to do. Got it all together in that process. This is what happened. And I don't know if this is still out there. You know, so I'm saying something that was back then. I think it's still out there. We used to get this booklet. It was like a colored pamphlet, you know, and it was like a book for Northeast Indiana of all the kids that had their parental rights terminated. Like, I don't know if that's still out there, but there was a list. You could get on the internet or you could get a book. And there's all these kids whose parental rights had been terminated, which means they could be up for adoption, right? Like, you don't even have to like the parental rights. You still have to go through some hoops, but it's nothing like waiting for parental rights to be terminated, right? You can, you can adopt these kids. And guess what the pages were full of? Older kids and sibling groups, right? Just full of older kids and sibling groups. And you know, as I look through those, this is the thing that always went through my mind. How many of those girls in that picture, in that book, are going to age out without ever having a father? And when it comes their wedding day, Nobody to walk him down an aisle. Have you thought of that? You know, these are kids who are orphans, who the plight of an orphan is the things, this is the crazy thing. Like I always say this, it drives me crazy when kids treat their parents like crap because I'm like, dude, you know what it's like to not have any? Like, do you understand what it's like to not have a mom? Do you understand what it's like to not have a father? These are kids that are going to age out of the system, and when it comes to the most special day of their life, right, their wedding day, who's going to walk them down the aisle? Or, you know, for, for young men, we all know this, especially young men that are in the system like that, they're going to grow up and they're going to get married, and then there's going to come a day where they have a question, I need help with, who do they want to call? They want to call their dad. Guess what? They don't have one. There is nobody to call. There is nobody to rely on. The plight of the orphan is far greater than, oh, I guess they'll just age out of the system. And the understanding is, is he was trying to get you to, to get this. As an orphan, you don't, you don't experience and don't have what those who are sons and daughters have. Right, like that's the plight. He's trying to get you to understand that these people, the plight of the orphan is that we're rejoicing. You know why you should rejoice? Because all of the orphans, though, when I got a father, that changed everything for me. You see, anybody that's been through those experiences, when you get a father who loves you or a father who will be your father, everything changes in your life. True? Fathers change things. And when you don't have one, or when a father's not present, 
There is something missing that you can't replace with anything else, right? So in the world, this is what he's trying to say. Now I want to give you this picture because he says, you know what? Even for all of you people in this room that have had a father, you know what you're going to learn at some point? Your dad's going to let you down. But that's going to happen, right? No matter how good your father is, you're going to lean into him at one point when things don't go the way it's supposed to go in life, and you're going to lean in, and guess what happens when you lean in? It moves. Because <laughs> fathers are imperfect. And so what he's saying, but guess what? For all of you in this room, guess what? Here's the thing that you need to understand. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will have a father adopted into a family, and you will have a father who will never move. You will have a father that you can lean into at any time in your life. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He will never walk away from you regardless of the circumstance in your life. And for those people, this is what he's trying to tell me. So you're going to go back. This is what he's trying to say. This is what's so weird. You came and understood what it means to have a real father, and you're going to go back to being an orphan? Like, you're going to go back to being an orphan. You're going to go back to doing the things that you were doing? How does that make any sense? Right? Like, that's what he was trying to get them to see in the midst of this. Like, you need to understand the adoption into sonship. Here's the other thing that he says in verse 6. This is where he starts to bring out, like, here's some things you need to think about. But now he's like, if you want to know, like, and maybe this is for you today, do you want to know if you're deceived? Like, you ever wonder that? Like, I've heard people talk about this. You ever worry about, like, you got it all wrong? Have you ever had that worry in your life? Like, I used to have that worry early on in my Christian faith. I'm like, what happens if I get up there and I did it wrong? Nobody else has ever had that fear. I was always like, I think I'm doing it right. I don't really know. I mean, I think I said the prayer. I don't even honestly know if I said it right. Like, I don't know how that all works. I always had this fear of how do you really know if you're saved? And I'll have people say, well, you can never really know. That's not true. You can know, right? And here's where he says, you want some confirmation of whether or not you are a son and daughter of the king? Here's some confirmation, right? Verse six, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Here's what he's saying. You want confirmation that you're saved? You want confirmation that you're a son and a daughter? You want that confirmation? Here's the confirmation, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, and you know what I love about people who never grew up in a church? You know when you talk to them about their salvation, you know how they explain this? Like, I don't know what's different, but something's different. Right? Church people tend to try to put all these words to it. Dude, how do you explain the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, part of the Trinity, living inside of you? I'm going to err with what they said. I don't know what the change was, but I'm different right? Something's different inside of me. Everybody that has and is a son and daughter of the king has a moment that says something is different because now Jesus lives in me, right? There's something different inside of me. And now he says, right, like, you know, the other thing that will change now that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You want to know if you want to start, and this might actually be a maturity thing. It might be a salvation thing. But then he says, here's some confirmation. You want another confirmation? How intimate of a relationship are you in with your father? Because that whole Abba father, when he says that, it's not this idea of father, give me everything I want. It's you're my dad. You're my dad. It's this intimacy, like, Father, I love you. Father, I can rely on you. Father, in the deepest, hardest times of my life, you're where I'm going to go, right? There's this intimacy that you have with your father. That's what crying out Abba is, is different than what it was before, right? So instead of, you know, God or Father being a vending machine, getting whatever you want, he's now your dad, right? Now, for me, one of the things that you know, the confirmation, obviously, there's change in my life. But you know the confirmation of intimacy that I have? And, and I don't know how it is for you, so I'm going to explain it to you. And I know probably most of you in this room are going to be like, okay, he's weird. But I'm going to tell you anyway, right? Like, here's the one thing. Throughout all of my life, there have been times where things have not went the way they're supposed to go. Anybody ever have those times? And you're left wondering what in the world is going on, Right? 
you just look around and you're like, this just can't be the way that it's supposed to be. You're in this place where you're hurting. And honestly, you know, somebody who never stops talking, you get to the place where you're out of words. You ever been there? You know, that just you're going around and you're just out of words and you don't know what to say. Every time or every moment that I've been in that place, I close my eyes, and when I close my eyes, this is what I see, and this is what I feel. Do you remember when your kids were young, so you guys that have raised kids, do you remember your kids when, when they're hurt or they're scared and they jump up on your lap and they just nuzzle in and you just hold them tight? And they, they were fear and they were crying, but all of a sudden your touch all of a sudden brings something to them that calms them down, brings them a sense of, it's all going to be okay. You know why it's all going to be okay? Because dad's here. Do you remember those times? Do you remember those feelings? When I close my eyes, I feel and see myself in his lap with his arms around me saying, it's going to be okay. Not because my circumstance is going to change, because that's the one thing I've learned. A lot of my circumstances haven't changed. They were just what they are. But you know why it's going to be okay? Because dad's here. Because dad's in the place. Because I'm sitting in my father's arms. It's going to be okay, right? And that's intimacy. When you can get to the place where circumstances of life can get us to a place where we can say, you know where I'm going to run? You know where I'm going to lean into? I'm going to go to the one, and I'm going to sit on the lap of the one who I'm going to feel okay in his arms and in his embrace because that father is never leaving me. That father is always going to be there for me, and regardless of the circumstances of life, everything's going to be okay because dad showed up, right? That's important, and he's trying to get us to understand that. Then he goes on, and he says this in verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So again, back to perspective, back in the day, right? So if you were a father, part of the legacy that you left is what you gave your children, right? Like your kids were an heir of your things, right? And there was somewhat of a prestige in saying, like, you know, these are my kids, and they're the heir to all of the things that I have, right? Now, back then, some people had a lot, and some people had a little, but it meant a lot that a son or a daughter was an heir to the things that their father had, right? So they could experience them on the earth, like part of being an heir was, I did experience things that my father now has as part of the privilege, does that make sense? Part of the privilege is I get to be a part, and then someday when he's gone, I get a piece of what he's leaving behind. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you, your fathers have passed on, and you have something from them, more than just an inheritance check, right? You have a wallet. You have a gun. You have, you have something that, like, this was what my father left me, right? And you cherish it. Right? Because you were his heir, and you're going to pass it down to your children, and you're going to have those things. And there's something special about being in that position. Right? So the same concept as he's saying for a Christian, think of it this way. So now, right, like we're talking about earthly possessions. You know what he says now? Guess what? Thaddeus Little, now that he is a son of God, is not only an heir to everything that will be to come, but everything that's here on this earth today that God has. Now, think about this for a second. You are an heir of everything as a son and a daughter. And here's the cool thing. Guess what? You'll be an heir of everything that God has, regardless of how good you are. You know why you're an heir? You know why you get to be a part of everything that God possesses on this earth and someday in heaven? You know why you get to do that? Because you're a son, not because you're good. You know why you get to be a part of that? Because you're a daughter, not because you're good, right? And it's so important for us to understand, not only do we possess everything, we are heirs of all of God's stuff to come and on this earth. It's because you live differently. When you possess that of what the Father is giving you, you should be living differently, right? And you should be, uh, the way and decisions of your life should be done differently. And then goes on and says this, 
in Galatians 8. Now, in this, he starts to, again, give you some, okay, remember, if you want to know, we could check your heart. Where's your intimacy? You know, uh, do you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit? Now, there's going to be some practical things to be like, we're going to start seeing how this is working in your life. So this is what he says in verse 8. It says, formerly, um, yeah, so formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. So now he's going back to this idea. So if you're son and daughter, it comes with privileges, but it also comes with obligation, right? So there is an obligation for things to change in your life if you are a son of the king and a daughter of the king. What are some of those things that we could look at and say, I wonder how I'm doing, right? Like, what is it that I could look at? What are some perspectives that would say, am I a son? Am I a daughter? Have I went from being a child? Because remember what Paul said? He's saying the same thing. When you're a child, what do you act like? A child. When you're a man, you act like a man. Like there is a clear difference. Children act one way. Men, adults, women act a different way, right? Like that's the clarity. So Here's the picture, and you'll see this throughout Scripture, but I think you can see it in this Scripture itself. How could we test then, am I a child or am I an adult? Or am I maturing from a child to adult? One of the ways is this, right? How you steward your stuff, okay? So the things that you have. How do you steward the stuff that you have? Because again, here's what a child thinks. So if you're a child, here's what you think. Everything belongs to you and you treat it accordingly. So if it belongs to me, guess what? You get to do whatever you want, right? This making any sense? Like if it belongs to me, then I get to do whatever I want. In fact, I was introduced to this. So Ethan watches these YouTube channels. And so on these YouTube channels, and I don't think Ethan's the only one who watches this, like these people that buy things and then for a living destroy things. Anybody else? Right? You've seen this before. Like people buy stuff and then they go out and then they just, again, they just tear it apart. And for whatever reason, it's kind of like watching TV when somebody breaks their ankle and you don't want them to show the replay, but they show the replay and you're still looking. I think it has something to do with that. Like you just can't look away from somebody that takes a brand new truck and trashes it. You can't look away from, you know, these things because these people become very popular. They gain a lot of followers and they make a lot of money, right? Now, I've always said this. Do you want to know whether or not somebody, uh, you know, is a child by, by the way that they handle this stuff? I always say this. Anytime that I see a kid out burning their tires off over and over again, you know what I know about that kid? He ain't paying for his tires. <laughs> True? Anybody that I see take a piece of equipment and tear the crap out of it and not really care about it, you know what I know? It's daddy's money right? Because nobody that has to pay for their own stuff goes out and treats it like crap. Nobody does that. Unless you have a plethora of money, but your plethora of money probably didn't come from you. It came from somebody else, right? So stewardship of stuff determines whether you're a child or you're an adult, right? Because here's what you know if you're an adult, like if you become a man, right? None of it belongs to you. Like, none of your stuff belongs to you. In fact, God's given you everything that you have today, right? And you know why he gave it to you? To steward it, not so you can get more followers on the internet, but more followers for the kingdom. That's why he gave you your stuff. That's why you have it. You have everything. People who have become sons and daughters of the king understand this. Like, listen, the, the, the king, I'm going to steward what he gave me because what he gave me is to be used to further the kingdom. Right? That makes sense? So you can start to see what it looks like. The other thing is, is that um, everything, like if you're a child, here's what you think about your stuff. Everything that you have, you deserve because you worked for it. That's how children think. Like children think, this is mine, you know why? And I'm like, this is my own thinking sometimes. Like, this is mine because I worked for it. 
right? And you know what happens when you have that mindset of a child and you're like, you think everything is yours? You know what happens? When that thing goes away, guess how you feel? Are you very happy about it? I worked hard and I did and I put all my time and I put all my effort and then this happened and you can't fathom in your mind. How is it that this would be taken away from me? Well, you know how sons and daughters of the king think? Everything that you have is a gift and nothing belongs to you. And he can give it. And all the adults get this. Like if you've been in life long enough, here's what you understand. He gives and he takes away. You get that, right? Adults understand this concept. Sons and daughters of the king understand the concept. Everything that he's given me here today is a gift. But here's what I know. Tomorrow, if he chooses, it could all be gone. Right? That's what we get. That's what we understand. But that's a mark of, you know, uh, the difference between children and adults. The other thing is purpose in life. So you want to know where you're at when it comes to, like, being a child or being an adult. One of the things that you find is as a child, you tend to render your life or spend your time doing or the purpose of your life is to work, to play, work, to play. That's still a thing, right? Like, I remember this as a kid. I want to work. I mean, everybody has to work, right? No one's that fond of working. No one's like, well, I mean, maybe some of you are out there. I love my job, right? Most people out there are like, I have a job so I can make money to buy things and play with them. Enjoy them. Is that? No? Okay. For a few people, like we do that. Like I can remember when I was young, I wanted to make money so I could buy the things that I wanted because the things in my life that I wanted made me more comfortable and I could have fun with them, right? Whether it's a house, whether it's a car, whether it's a four-wheeler, no matter what those things are, my life purpose revolved around, here's my purpose in life. Make money, have fun, make money, have fun, make money, have fun. Nobody else has done this? Okay. Well, anyway, so the idea is you become a slave to that lifestyle, right? Make money to have fun or make money to be comfortable. Is that more relative? Like make money, become comfortable. You become a slave to it, right? So children think that the purpose in their life is to set up things so that they will be comfortable, right? And as hard as you try, here's what you're going to learn at some point in your life. You'll never be comfortable, like that dream or that purpose that you're chasing, you're never going to be comfortable and you're never going to be fulfilled, right? So sons and daughters of the king understand this. You know what my purpose in life is? To be a slave to the one who's given me purpose in life, right? That's what I'm supposed to be. Whatever God tells me to do, I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do. And I'm going to be a slave to whatever he wants me to do because that gives me purpose in life. Here's the last one, how you view rules, Okay, so this is, again, I'll give you my own story. I saw rules as a kid, follow the rules and you don't get in trouble. Right? Like, follow the rules and you don't get in trouble. Did anybody else grow up in a home where you had the speech? Because my mom was like, remember she was the wooden spoon lady, right? They just broke wooden spoons over you until it didn't even hurt anymore. Anybody else that way, right? But then when they said... When dad gets home, anybody ever had that before? When dad gets home, and then you're like, holy crap. Now I'm going to listen, right? Because when dad gets home, something changes, right? So here's what I learned, right? I learned a couple different principles when it comes to when you view rules as following because you don't get in trouble. One, I learned to be a good liar, Right? So I just learned to lie really good because I didn't want to get in trouble, right? And you know what the other thing that I learned? If I could break a rule and not get in trouble, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to break the rule because the whole idea of rules is stay out of trouble. So again, you live your life and it's really no different. So if you, like in Christianity today, if your sole purpose is to, to follow the rules so you don't get in trouble by God, you are still a boy, and you're still a girl, you're not a man. Because here's the thing that you need to understand. The shift is when you become a man or when kids get older, you know why you follow the rules? Because you love the one who gave them. That's why you follow the rules. 
Right? You follow the rules because the one who gave you the rules is the one that you love. And so you're going to follow him, not based upon getting in trouble or not. I'm going to follow him because I love him. Right? And then as kids get older, right, and as kids move forward, like they have to have a set of rules when they're young, but you know when they get older? Come on, seriously, do you really have to be told what to do? Out of love, should you not respect your parents? Out of love, should you not be helpful? Out of love, should you not do? Like, why is there a rule that you have to do certain things that you just do? Right? Am I missing it? Like, there should just be certain things that when you walk around and, man, listen to me for a second. And this, this is learned as a boy. And it becomes a man. As a man, no man sees a need and walks by. Men look for ways to help. That's what men do. And you learn that as a boy, right? As a boy, you learn, I don't have to be told to do certain things to be helpful. I see what needs to be done, and I just go do it right? I don't have to be told what to do. I see, so I do. The same thing as, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we shouldn't have to be told, this is so funny, like you shouldn't have to be told to go reach your friends. You shouldn't have to be told, isn't this weird? You shouldn't have to be told, like, you should probably come to church, <laughs> Right? Like, it should be something that you desire. It should be something that you want to be a part of. It should be something that, it doesn't have to be a rule to read my Bible. You know why I want to read my Bible? Because I love the one whose words are in it. That's why I want to read it. Not because they told me if I don't read it, I'm in trouble. You know, I want to go to a small group because I want to fellowship with people who love the same person I love. Not because I have to go. Does that make sense? Right? Like, that's the difference in people in the way that they view rules and the way that they look at those things. Now, worship team is going to come back up. I'm going to give you some next steps. Right? So remember, Paul, in all of this, was helping all of us understand perspective. Right? So he says, get this perspective in your mind. Whether you like this or not, we were all orphans at one time. But you don't have to stay an orphan. Right? You don't have to stay in the place where... where you're, you're left alone. You can have a father and you can have, you know, someone who you can be his son and you can be his daughter. It doesn't have to stay that way. And the other thing that, it, that he's saying, and, and these are the things that I want us to, to start processing, like as a follower of Christ, right? So as a son of the king, here's something that I want you to challenge you with. I want you to ask yourself this question this week. How intimate of a relationship do you have with your father? Because I want you to think about this for a second. So young men, like if you're, you're dating somebody and you want to get closer to them, right? If you want a more intimate relationship with them, what do you, you usually have a plan, don't you? All the guys are out there like, a plan? <laughs> We're talking about a plan. Like if you want to grow closer in relationship with this person, you better have a plan because intimacy doesn't happen on accident. We get that, right? Like married couples, intimacy doesn't happen because you hope and pray they do. Like that's not the way that it works. You gotta have a plan to deepen your relationship and intimacy with the one that you love. What's your plan this week to deepen your relationship with the one that you love. Not on this earth, but the one, our Father. What's your, what's your plan? And how are we going to follow those things? And how are we going to move into those things in your life? So that's a challenge, right? What, what's going to be your plan? And how are you going to look at that? And here's the other thing. Is it possible that today you realize something? You're still a child. And you're still acting like a child. Be a man. Stop giving excuses of why you are not doing 
what from this time you said, you know what, remember in the beginning when he said, here's the rite of passage. When you made a decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ, excuses went out the door. Parents, stop making an excuse for them. You know, in the beginning when I said, well, you know, we keep making these excuses, that's why we have 25 and 30-year-old boys. It's also why we have lots of young people sitting in our church today deceived. Right? Because we're not talking through these ideas of like, listen, this is the way it is. You said you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Be a man. Take the responsibility. Own up to it. I shouldn't have to tell you, get up for church. No matter what age you are, nobody should have to be come in and be like, hey, it's time to go to church. Okay, we'll go in. Like if you're a son or daughter of the king, you're ready to come. Now you might fall asleep while the preacher's preaching, but at least you got here. Right? But what does it look like to be a man? What does it look like to be a woman? What does it look like for us to understand what are the responsibilities and what are the privileges of being a son and a daughter of the king? Because here's what we're going to sing about. This next song talks about this idea that we are never left alone. And because we understand that we're sons and daughters of the king, you will leave a legacy, not just here, right? but a legacy that will be for generation after generation after generation after generation. You see, sons and daughters of the king leave legacies that last forever. People who stay boys and who stay young ladies and never become men, your legacy dies with you. That's just the way that it works. Can we stand so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, as we gather here today, first of all, thank you for adopting us. I mean, I can't think enough, uh, be thankful enough that I was on the trash heap and you picked me up. And you adopted me as a son, and I will be forever grateful for that. And Heavenly Father, I'm just like, we can come in this room, and Lord, we, we know that at times we slip back and we aren't listening to your voice. Lord, I pray today that if people are deceived, they will hear the Father's voice. They will know their Father well enough that they will gain clarity in their life. Lord, and I pray that if we've made excuses for being boys, being young ladies, Lord, that we will become men. We will become women of God. Sons and daughters of the King. Lord, we love you. In name we pray. Amen.